2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. Uh, today we will land in verse 12, but uh, we will read it in its flow. We will pray, and then we will read verses 7 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 4. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, as we look at this noble, beloved Apostle Paul and get a view of his heart, I pray, Lord, that as we look, your spirit would stir in your people. That as we see in our brother Paul, Father, may that be seen in us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power to change lives. Father, I thank you that it strengthens us. That, Father, by it we grow. And, Father, I thank you that you've given us a privilege to look freely upon your word. Father, may it be a passion of your people. And, Lord, even as we look at this text, I pray that, Lord, they hear me not, but they hear the Spirit of the living God moving the authority of your word in the very souls of your people. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the time you've given us. And, Father, may we be found walking worthy of this precious and awesome calling to your praise and glory. Amen. Chapter 4, 7 through 15. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. We've been looking at this letter for uh, some time now. And I wanted us to look at it because um, if I take it in its context, the whole thing, it's ministry. I mean, that's the essence of it. All right. We looked at 1 Corinthians first because that one there is looking at personal holiness and that there will be a conflict. And it's usually just you or it's just me. It's, 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 It's pride. If you look at the Corinthian church, they were arrogant. Uh, to say the least. And what had happened to the Corinthian church is they had allowed the world to come in and affect the church instead of the church strengthening to affect the world. All right. And what happens once you cross that bridge, you will start bringing cleverness. You will start bringing 
today's terminology, marketing or technique or system to what God has established here on earth. And anytime I bring man into it, there's the possibility of corruption. Or should I say the probability of corruption? Because if you watch today, I know no one in this group deals with pride, but everybody else does. Just look around. And when I think about ministry, there are too many in the church today who are trying to achieve ministry. All right. And the thing that you've, you will learn if you spend any time with the Apostle Paul at all, you will understand that ministry is received. It is not achieved. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to us right now. Because he explains and has been dealing with it that this ministry is the essence of the new covenant. Okay, And the new covenant could be summarized the glory of God in the face of Christ. So when you hear preaching, who should be the focus? Christ. And, it, you know, people, I've, I've had people coming in this church and says, well, all you guys do is read the Bible. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I, I don't understand. And they say, well, you know, there's just too much Bible reading. And I look at them and I said, the problem is there's not enough in you. And there's not. If you look at the church today, what is it for? I don't know. If I look around, I'm not sure I know what it's for. I know what its essence was and is. You preach the word. And you do it in season, you do it out of season. If I'm going to preach the word, then I should be a worker who rightly divides truth. Now, I want to understand something. That isn't just for your pastors or your elder or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers. If you're a child of God... You should have an overwhelming desire for the Word of God. Okay? And if I have to make you study your Bible, you have a bigger problem than you ever dreamed. Perhaps you're not saved. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If I love Christ, I love His Word. To be effective, an effective minister, if you look at that outline, you'll see seven things that I've kind of gotten drug out of this. And in those seven things is what it is to be an effective minister. The Apostle Paul was an effective minister. Would we say amen? I think he had it down pretty good. Pretty good. And when I look through these verses, he starts it off with, I am but an earthen vessel. We are but earthen vessels. But remember, he says, God has made us adequate of servants of the new covenant. In chapter six of verse three, or chapter three, verse six. So we are effective, even though we are just baked dirt jugs. And we're the common jugs. We're the ones that they use to take the garbage out in. We are replaceable. We are fragile. We are not really that great to look at. 
And that's what they said about the Apostle Paul. He's not a good speaker. He's unimpressive to look at. And Paul backs up and says, you're right. I'm not a great speaker and I am not impressive to look at. So explain to me, accusers of me. Why is God doing so much through me? Why are lives being transformed? Why are churches being grown and flourishing? Explain that. Because I am not gifted at speaking. I am not that much fun to look at. I mean, the Galatians said something was going on with his eyes that they would have gladly removed theirs to give them to him. Okay? So there was something there that was like, All right? So when you think about a minister... And if you're saved, you are now a minister. When you hear the word minister, think servant. Okay? If you're saved, you are a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if I'm going to be an effective servant, how do I do it? First thing you've got to understand, you've got nothing. You bring nothing to the table. You're just an old baked dirt jug. Okay, And if you can keep that mindset, you will begin being effective. As soon as you think you can do it, I watch this all the time. I have been in this pulpit for almost 18 years, 19 years. I don't know how long it's been. And I have watched it. Someone God blesses. And then they write a book on how to do it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Little David the shepherd boy. Who will fight Goliath? I'll do it. Saul, hey, put my armor on. He puts Saul's armor on. I can't even move. All right, well, take the armor off. All right, what are you going to do? Slingshot. I'm out of here. And Saul's like, poor kid's dead meat. Why? Because he takes it out of our hands. Once you get to the end of the rope, then now you live in the realm of God's power. Oh, I wish I could get the body of Christ to understand this. It is not your technique. It is not your talents. It is not your ability. It is not your theology. It is you, broken earth, homely pot, saying, I have a precious treasure inside. To the measure of our humility is... The measure of being unstoppable. If I understand that I am a clay pot. Then I have nothing here. I'm expendable. Then guess what? There is no fear of death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Why? I'm a dirt. I'm just a dirt jug. Therefore, there I have nothing here. So I had no longer have a fear of death. If I don't have a fear of death, I don't have a fear of life. What are you going to do? Call me names? Really? What are you going to do? Slander me? What are you going to do? Afflict me physically? Really? And that effect is what? Zero. Nada. Doesn't accomplish anything. What? There's some writings in the 
under Caesar, where they were getting annoyed at killing Christians because they were looking forward to it. How do you kill somebody and put fear into them if they're looking forward to it? And it was becoming annoying. And they tried. That's when you start seeing them. Well, let's get creative. We'll use lions and tigers and bear. Oh, my. And they just still didn't care. No, I'll go be with Jesus. It's going to be great. What do you do to torment them people? Nothing. Or you could get the lion and get it ready and stop it and say, no, you're stuck here. (laughs) Ah, you're tormenting them. To that same measure of our humility is the measure of, a, of being unstoppable. And that will also be the measure of how sacrificial we are. Why? Because we realize after that point, it's no longer about us. Doesn't matter what I accomplish. Doesn't matter whether I have my grandkids. Or doesn't matter whether I get to see this or I get to witness that or I get married to this. And none of that. All that becomes irrelevant. There's nothing to it anymore. Why? To live is Christ. That is the measure of the usefulness of the minister. But you see how it kind of moves. Starts out humble. Once you have that. Now, and you know, and I, I've shared this with you. People ask me, well, give me the definition of humble. The absence of pride. It's the complete absence of pride. There's nothing there. I have nothing. I don't have a talent. I don't have an education. Once you're there, then you're unstoppable. And once you're unstoppable, you become sacrificial. Paul was criticized. He was attacked. He says, you can destroy me physically. You can call me names emotionally. You can do anything you want to to me, but you still can't explain what God is doing through me. You can't do it. That, you know, we moved into an area in Russia that is the size of the Carolinas and Virginia. Okay? When we moved in there, what, five years ago? Six years ago? Something like that? There were two churches in that whole area. Two churches. Okay? There's 17 now in five years. How'd that happen? We didn't do it through the Baptist convention. We didn't do it. We went and we found people who wanted the word of God and we invested in them the word of God. And you know what they did? Craziest thing I've ever seen. They took the word of God and found people who wanted the word of God and invested the word of God in them. What's well, crazy? You're supposed to mentor them or you can disciple them. And if I disciple them and I can't be there every day, you know what I can do? Here's your Bible. And here's how to make that text alive. That's how simple this is. I remember on a Wednesday night preaching at a little bitty church in Zimka. Uh, and um, it was a Wednesday night. And, and you guys know how I am. I'm, I'm a little on the long-winded side. Okay? I preached for an hour. Actually, it was about an hour and a half because I'm going through a translator. And then I had to answer questions for two hours. 
That's amazing. And it was cold and snowy. And uh, I, I mean, when you're preaching in this little place, I can see my breath. Okay. And yet these people are all bundled up in their hats and coats and, and mittens and everything. And, and all the rest of them want to ask questions. I remember preaching in, uh, in Moscow, First Baptist of Moscow. And it's a, it's, God, it's an intimidating place. It's got like three balconies and you're kind of preaching in the round. And, and thank God the lights weren't that good. I, I get real nervous in front of people. And I was, I, and this place was packed. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God. Uh, what am I, what am I going to say? Well, about halfway or three quarters of the way through my message, I started noting, I, I didn't know what it was. You could see white things falling down out of the balconies. And you're sitting there going, wonder what that is, confetti? And then all of a sudden you would note that it was paper and they were all coming forward. You could see it being dropped from the balconies down to the floor and the people were picking it up. And you talk about something that's distracting. And you, they're picking it up and they're handing it to the person in front of them and it's all coming forward. And you're sitting there going, I wonder what this is. And so I got done. We prayed. And in Russia, when you, you finish a message, everybody gets a chance to pray. Okay? And then the pastor closes with prayer when it finally gets quiet. So we I don't know how long we were in there. And then all of a sudden, they start taking these pieces of paper and they're questions. And people are drop writing questions down and dropping them down and passing them forward. And the guys on the front row are getting ready. When you're done, all right, you said this and we want to know. And you're sitting there going, oh my gosh. But church is an event for the people. Now listen, let me ask you a question. I've never been trained. Why in the world would God put me in that place? And they said, well, aren't you, don't you have Slavic blood? Actually, it's Scottish and Blackfoot Indian. Sorry. Well, do you have something with the Russians? No. My dad fought against them. I don't tell him that when I go. <laughs> but do you see what I'm trying to get at? No, why? Why can a congregation this size now have 17 daughter churches in Russia and growing? Was it our great clever scheme? Paul says, you know what? No matter what you do, no matter what you call me, how do you explain what God is doing? How do you explain that? And it goes back to the earthen vessel. And I, I did some homework and I found this a few other times. Other guys have spoken of this. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was make was making something on a wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me and says, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah looked at the people and said that they were what? Earthen vessels. Clay pots. And God does with them as he pleases. Isaiah 
Chapter 45, verse 9. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker as an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing that you are making say, he has no hands. Isaiah looking at the people saying, you are but a vessel of vessels. There ain't nothing spectacular about you. The only thing that is spectacular about us as earthen vessels is what? What task the Lord gives us. And, and yet I watch this and we all think that we are something. We're nothing. We are dirt buckets. We are used to carry the garbage out. And the treasure is inside in the hands of an awesome God. We are common, cheap, breakable, and yet in the hands of God, we can be used for honor. But only in his hands. Both of these prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, are reminding us that we're just dirt, earthen vessels. A whole lot of, not a whole lot of glory in a clay pot. The only value comes when we can be used to accomplish what God has set before us. Paul to the Romans. One that drives people nuts. It's one of my favorite verses actually, but drives other people nuts. Chapter 9, verse 20, 21. On contrary, who are you, old man, who answers back to God? The thing molded? will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor, use another for common use? People are viewed in Scripture as earthen vessels. Some are honorable and some are dishonorable. The value is not the container. I really wish that the body of Christ would understand that we are cheap, common, breakable, not attractive, replaceable, earthy. Because when you live there, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. There's nothing worthy about the container. Paul understood this. Paul understood it. it wasn't because he was charismatic. Paul understood that it was not because he was impressive. Paul understood it was not because of his charm. Paul understood it wasn't his creativity. It wasn't his marketing skills. And Paul agrees with his accusers. You're right. It's not this earthen vessel. It's the precious treasure that is inside. But you still have to explain something. How do you explain the transformed lives? How do you explain the churches? How do you explain the power of God on display through this unimpressive, not articulate man? Which brings me to verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul understood because he was humble, 
He was unstoppable. And because he was unstoppable, he could be sacrificial in all things. And the reason is he had a focus. Fruitful. Fruitful. The powerful servant of Christ lives for the fruit of the ministry. Lives for the fruit of the ministry. Now, you've got to be real careful about this. I look at this verse 12, and I see the summary of the man Paul that we know. Death works in us, but life in you. Okay, he's not talking about the life of Christ in himself. He's talking about the life of Christ in others. The ladies just spent 30 days looking at the prayers of Paul. One of the amazing things, if you look at the prayers of Paul and you do it very quickly, you get an idea really quick. Everything he's praying for is eternal. He doesn't pray anything temporal. But if you look at his eternal prayers, it is focused on the temporal clay pots that are in his life. Why? Because when we think about fruit, we get what I call Billy Graham-itis. You get a big stadium and everybody comes forward and you get Beverly Shays saying, just as I am and hallelujah. Okay, listen, fruit of ministry is definitely the salvation of souls. Absolutely. But see, what happens is we get a view on that and we forget that the fruit of ministry is the strengthening of souls for the work of ministry. That's fruit. People say, well, why do you teach on Sunday night and Wednesday and do these other things? What am I doing? I'm trying to strengthen the clay pots for their work of service in the body of Christ so that the body is strong. Because when the body is strong, people who are lost are going to be attracted to it. Please understand something about the strength of the church has nothing to do with programs. It has to do with individual men and women walking worthy of their calling, reflecting the glory of God in the face of Christ. We've already looked at it. Behold! In a mirror! What? We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Paul had a temporal focus with eternal destiny. When he looked at people, he looked at either a person who needed to be strengthened or a person who needed to be saved. He says, death works in us. And look at verses or, yeah, 10 and 11. He says, always carrying around the body, of, in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. What does that mean? Every day Paul woke up with today could be the end of it. People wanted Paul dead. He was in danger in the country. He was in danger in the city. He was in danger from Gentiles. He was in danger from the the Jews. Shipwrecked. Stoned. Beaten. They wanted him dead. And he lived with that fact, that knowledge. Every moment that he existed... People wanted him dead and would today be the moment. And yet that was his passion because he understood they hated Christ, that they were taking it out on his messengers. And he said, if they're taking it out on his messengers and I am receiving this, then that means I'm being effective. That means I'm bearing fruit. 
bearing fruit. Death works in us every day. But it's just the price of ministry. And Paul's understanding, verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. That's all right. Death working in Paul had his purpose, and he understood that. He will put his life on the line to bring the message of life. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice. Now get that? I rejoice. What do you rejoice in, Paul? In my suffering for your sake. Sign me up for that party. I know people say, well, I'd like to have some joy. Well, how about rejoicing in your suffering for others? Well, that don't sound quite right. Well, but it's biblical. See, now listen, I want to be real careful about this. In my years walking with the king, we're not talking about self-martyrdom. Okay, I run people that Paul told Timothy, those who walk in Christ's righteousness shall be persecuted. And I've run into people in my life whose whole goal in life was I'm going to make you persecute me because I'm going to be a pain in your butt. Okay, I mean, just obnoxious. All right. And 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 as soon as you try to tell them, won't you sit down and be quiet and things like, well, see, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. Okay, you know, I I see people who think that there's a merit in pain. That's not what Paul's saying. Uh, When we first started our work in Russia, um, it became clear that the guys who had come out of socialism were boasting in their suffering for the gospel under the communist. Okay, well, that'll get you in trouble. Okay, if you're going to boast, you boast in Christ. All right, and you, we had, shall I say, a few conflicts on these guys saying, well, you don't understand. You know what? No, I don't. I have never been put in jail for preaching the gospel. You're right. But it's obvious God saved you through that for a reason. Perhaps you should look at the reason instead of the circumstance. And, and after a few years of dealing with some of these guys, you, some of them don't get it. Okay? They, they boast in their, their suffering and it becomes, uh, that's what they preach. I was in jail, I did this. When I was in jail, I did this. When I did this. And you know what? That's not Christ. So there is no merit in our pain. There's no merit. Paul is not saying, look at me in my pain. All right. Um, And also, I want you to be careful. Do not confuse this with the refining work of God. There are sometimes God puts you through pain (laughs) for your own good. Okay. Uh, To to help you. You know, I tell my kids, I said, uh, you know what? You can either be on your knees before God or be driven to your knees before God. One way or the other, you're going to hit your knees. And what I've learned the hard way is if I just stay on my knees, I really don't have very far to fall. All right? 
So don't confuse suffering with the refining work of God. All right. The reason Paul suffered was not his personal gain. It was to bring the message of Christ to the lost and to strengthen the church. And he would suffer anything to do that. Okay? Rejoice in your suffering when you're being used to strengthen the church or reach the lost. I Some believe they're achieving some spiritual goal by pain. That's not biblical. It happens because Paul says, I pursue the fruit of ministry. The fruit of ministry is summarized in two, salvation and strengthening. All right? I watch people trying to, well, I'm bearing fruit. Well, that doesn't look like even a raisin. Okay? But yet, if you're saved, you will bear fruit. It is impossible to be saved and not bear fruit. In my years of walking with the king, I've led five people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Five. But you know what's amazing about the five? None of them them ever did the Baptist three to five. You know what the Baptist three to five is? You walk an aisle, get dunked, you're all jacked up for Jesus for about a year, 18 months, then you fall away from three to five years. Then you come back and now you make him Lord and everything's happy. Okay, that's what I call the Baptist three to five. None of the five that I have reached for Jesus Christ have fallen, ever fallen away. Ever. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't sin. But I'm saying they never walked away and said, you know what, I'm not going to go to church no more. They never did it. Okay? But how many people have I discipled? I've got a kid right now. <laughs> drives me nuts. <clears throat> Think about changing my email and my phone number. He's teaching up at Wheaton. And I met him down at the Ponderosa on a challenge course, showed him how to belay and goofy stuff like that. And then he started attending church and he says, I've been in church most of my life. He says, I ain't never heard anybody just take the Bible and explain it. (laughs) What was you doing in church? (laughs) I mean, and next thing I know, he went to seminary and this and that. And he taught last summer in, uh, where was it? The Netherlands at Tyndale College. Teaching Greek. And you know why he's teaching Greek? He asked me, he says, you know what? He says, when you see me, what do you think of my gift? He says, I really have a heart for a pastor. And I says, Nicholas, you're not a pastor. And he said, what? I said, you're not a pastor. I said, but you do have the gift of knowledge. And sure enough, he's become a, a professor. He's just not a pastor. And it's just a long story. I don't need to get into it. He's not a pastor. A pastor can take the knowledge that really smart people have and make it understandable for the hillbillies. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I got. You guys are all hillbillies. You think you're laughing at me, but listen to who you're listening to. 
when we focus on the ministry, we understand my passion from the day I got, when I got, got saved, most of you know this, I got saved in, uh, shall we call it public housing. And when I got out of my public housing, all I knew about Christianity is you needed to be baptized. So I got, found a church on Wednesday and said, I need to be baptized. And I told this pastor, either baptize me today or I'm finding somebody who will. And he's, wow, we've got a Wednesday night service. You can be baptized tonight. And I was like, all right, I'm in. Okay. And so after I got baptized, I got to come up out of the water. And I said, what do I do now? And he said, well, read the gospel of John. Well, that's dumb. Why would you start a book in the middle? I mean, I can understand reading the end of it so you know how it ends. But why why do I want to start a book? So anyway, but that was the extent of what the church was, wasn't it? Okay, well, what was you? I was in the trades, so you can take care of light bulbs and paint in the building. And then it dawned on me in my own readings that we are to make disciples, not converts, disciples. And if you're going to make a disciple, you probably ought to have something that you ought to give them. That's not complicated. So my passion very early in my walk was what? Discipleship. Let me make people stronger in the word. Why? Because that means I have to be in the Word to help others to be stronger in the Word. And then if they ask me a question I don't know, I'm going to have to go dig it up. And therefore, I'm back in the Word. It's a win-win. My passion is not evangelism. Okay, my passion is discipleship. The other thing about discipleship is you walk with the people. That's why I've been in this church as long as I have. Why? I'm not in this as a vocation. I'm in this to make disciples. I get excited on Sunday morning because I've had all week you ain't going to believe what I have found. That ain't that complicated. Paul says, I am glad to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. Right? And you know what? He passed that on. Um, the letter to the, uh, um, well, let me give you two. Second, um, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. If you don't like this verse, um, then just, you can mark it out of your Bible. Okay? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. For this reason I endure all things. For who? Sake of those who are chosen. Some would say the elect. Why? He's looking at the ministry. What is the ministry? See, in Paul's mind, if you're lost and haven't heard the gospel and come to salvation, then you were elect even though you were lost. Okay, now, well, that sounds like Calvinism. No, it sounds like Paul. All right? And and you may not like that, but that's all right. Ignore it. But he's saying, what I am suffering is for those who would come unto salvation, and for those who are already saved, they will be strengthened in their salvation. That's awesome. I'm not suffering for myself trying to gain merit or gain favor with the Lord. I'm suffering for you. Do you understand that that is ministry? That's what it's about. That's what it is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are my disciples, you will deny yourself and what? Take up your cross. 
Welcome to ministry. That's it. Paul managed to give this away. Fascinating, actually. To the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 20. Well, 19 is actually where it starts, speaking of uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Okay? For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Okay, he's speaking of Timothy here and he says, I have no one like him. Why? Who's his concern? See, it's when Paul's on a Damascus road arresting Christians and Jesus shows up. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, that's not what he says. Why are you persecuting me? So when you persecute the church, you're persecuting Christ. Take that inverted and say, look, when I'm ministering to the church, I am serving Jesus. It's kind of cool if you think about it. And he had managed to guide Timothy in that. Suffering for you is the price that it takes to get you the gospel. And that's what it takes in this culture today. We have to suffer to get the gospel to our culture. To get the gospel, to, to, to get it in our culture, but to also get it to the religious systems that are around us. There is so much phony religiosity in Castle Rock. Right now. I remember when we started doing the invocation at the town. A guy came up to me and says, um, When you close your prayers, could you not use in Jesus' name? And I said, Well, who would I pray to then? I want the will of Jesus, all that he is, his name, to be in my prayer. He says, so you're going to make it. Yeah. Well, what if we have a Jewish person there? There's Jews in the church. Always has been. Bugger started with a bunch of Jews. Well, but you, no, then I won't do it. Well, no, that's all right. It ain't that big a deal. So when I pray the invocation at the town, it's in Jesus' name. Okay, and if you don't want it in Jesus' name, then go get an imam. Or whatever, a Buddhist or something. I don't, you know, I don't care who they talk to. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul speaking to the Philippians, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. Even though I'm being poured out on a drink offering. You know what the drink offering runs, right? At the conclusion of the uh, sacrificial system, 
when they got done with the burnt offerings and the, and the incense and the blessings and all the rest of it, they'd have this bucket of blood that was left over and it'd be mingled with some wine. And basically what they would do with it is they'd take that thing and they'd throw it on the coals and it'd go like a big old thing. And that's what Paul says. That's what I am. I'm just of the drink offering. I am no value in the sacrifice. I am but the drink offering. And he says, and if that's what I'm doing for you, I rejoice. I rejoice. Bring the gospel to the darkness. This was a powerful man. Why? Look what he was focused on. He was focused on the fruit. He was absolutely unconcerned with himself. No concern whatsoever with himself. Paul understood that he was expendable. Paul understood that it was his joy and it was his duty in life to bring life to others through the gospel. That was my duty. That was my passion. To a, a person today who's a true Christian, your number one single focus is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ to strengthen those who are saved and to reach those who aren't. Period. Non-negotiable. And you will never be effective minister for the Lord Jesus Christ until that is the passion of your bones. That regardless of what you say of me. I remember the day I was called a Bible thumper. I was like, yes, I've arrived. And I remember, you're one of them fanatic kind, aren't you? You betcha. Paul understood he was expendable. Paul understood it was all about Christ. Period. Period. Paul says, death works in us, but life in you. Now listen, Paul may have been dying physically, but he says, I understand that in my dying physically and the threat of my death is imminent at any given moment, it will make you alive spiritually. I give you the gospel and now you're alive in Christ. If you're alive in Christ, I give you more. And you become strong in Christ. That you can stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, I am compelled to preach Christ and Him crucified. Romans 1, I want to come to Rome and I am eager and ready to bear fruit with you. I wonder what fruit would be. There's a commitment to the fruitfulness of the ministry. And it's whatever the potter has said this clay pot will do. It's non-negotiable. The clay doesn't tell the potter, well, I would like to be the world's greatest evangelist. I would like to have a mega church. I will settle for a semi-mega church. I remember a guy telling me one time, he said, you know what? Man, I just have a real small church. There's only like 500 of us. Well, happy for you. You know what that makes me? I got a microdot. <laughs> Paul was willing to take up his cross and he understood what was at stake. There ain't no cleverness. And, 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 and you know what? I, I watch too many today who are trying to avoid hostility. Um, you preach Christ in this country. 
I know this is a free country. Uh, we have in God we trust on our money and, and everything. You preach Christ in this country today and you will receive a negative response. I don't care where it's at. Someone will turn against you. If you are bold in Christ, you're going to be the butt of jokes. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be scorned. If you're trying to find a way not to be bold in Christ, not to be offensive, then the only I can tell you exactly how to do it right now. Okay, all you have to do is prostitute the message. That's all. And you will not offend. But you will be ineffective. Paul says, I have the suffering and that's my joy so that you can benefit. Paul says, I know I'm disposable. I am but a clay pot. Very fragile and it breaks very easy. And it breaks all the time. But you know what? He has a whole bunch of pots. He has a whole lot of them. And you know what? It doesn't really matter if one got broke. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I always read that and it's it's really awesome to me. He's basically, and it's kind of a, this is my interpretation of it. Okay. It says that you guys are really nice. I love you guys. But I'd rather be with him. Ain't that what it is? To live is Christ. I like being with you. Why? I'm strengthening and saving. It's really cool, but I'd rather be with Jesus. To die is gain. That should be the grip of the heart of the servant, the slave, the minister. That should be the passion. That should be the fire in your bones. Shouldn't be wondering about suffering. Even if you are, should be no big deal. This is the price to bring life. Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? They've expanded it now because uh, we're growing. And I read through that and there's so many that refused to shut up. You know, that's what I tell people. People ask me, he says, well, do you believe that the church is going to go through the great tribulation? I said, no, I'm not. They said, well, you don't believe the church? I said, well, I know I'm not. Why? They will kill Christians and I ain't shutting up. So I'm going to stand in line. I'll jump up to the front of the line. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'll jump right up here. I believe that that is God incarnate and that the glory of God is seen on the face of Jesus Christ. So kill me. I did my part. No, I ain't going to be quiet. I deal, you know, some of you guys know I work on motorcycles and stuff like that. And I deal with some hardcore people every once in a while. And they all, now they're starting to call me, I'm getting a customer base. They call me the Rev, they call me Preacher, and all kinds of weird stuff like that. It's, it's comical at times. Um, but they want to tell me that they're spiritual. Okay? <laughs> and, and they want to try to explain something to me spiritually. You know, I grew up, everybody grew up in a Baptist church. You ever notice that? I never met anybody that didn't grow up in a Baptist church. I didn't grow up in a Baptist church, but everybody else, I, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church. <laughs> Good. 
It didn't take, did it? Um, it didn't grow up enough. But they'll, they'll try to tell me things. Okay, now, you're dealing with bikers. And I, I've dealt with the Sons of Silence. I've dealt with Hell's Angels. And, you know, some people that, do you really want to make them mad? Okay, but, you know, I have, my bubbling effervescence keeps me safe. Um, and, and, and they'll tell me something spiritual, you know, that, you know, I believe this and that. And, and I could just look them in the eye and maybe change the spark plug. I said, well, you know, that's wrong, right? What? Yeah, that's wrong. You're either right or wrong. It's either truth or a lie. Okay, and now they don't know what to do. Okay, because somebody told them something somewhere where they were drunk or something, and therefore, well, that's a lie. Uh, well, well, it's a lie. You, if I told you, wouldn't. Don't you want me to share with you if it's a lie? Or should I just look at your spouse and says he's believing a lie? How sweet. No, dude, you don't do that. I want, you don't do that to loved ones. If you've got loved ones falling off on something, you say, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. There is no truth in that. Why? Because I would rather offend you now than you go to hell eternally saying, well, why didn't he say something? I'll never be accused of that, but just in case. <laughs> God takes the weak, the despised, the persecuted, the nothings, the nobodies, the not many mighty, the not noble, the common who are losing their lives. And he uses those clay pots so that the power of God is seen. Those who give their lives away will make them more powerful. Dying becomes the agents of life. I, this needs to be our passions, brother and sister. It is my responsibility to die so that the next generation become the agents of life so they learn to die to give the next generation the agents of life so that they can die that's what it's about. You give of yourself. You pour yourself out as the drink offering. So the next generation says, look, he was a drink offering. Therefore, I will be a drink offering to the next generation. We thought the doors were closing in Russia. And what we realized is that the young people don't have any hope. And perestroika and whatever else. Glasnost and whatever. And now they're hungry for truth. And so the saints that we have trained are pouring themselves out so that the next generation has life, can get to the next generation so they may have life. That's powerful. And it's all based on the pursuit of fruitfulness, fruit of life. Paul understands it. it does not matter what happens. To live to the Lord or to die to the Lord is still to the Lord. This letter is to the minister. Focus the fruit. What is that? Salvation or strengthening? We die. Do you understand that when a saint dies, it's not the end of the kingdom? <laughs> and if he was effective, he's got a next generation sitting out there already to die so the next generation can live. 
earthen vessels, expendable. We just obey God. You know, I, I listened this morning to the firemen talking about these guys running up the stairs to save all of these lives. And all, I could not help but think about the Christian who has standing in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, willing to give their life every moment so that the next generation may live and will have that life. And we say, well, look at the firemen. Look at the paramedic. Look, you know what the Christian does? Think about it. We are way outnumbered. And we should be immersed in the Word so we can give it to strengthen those saints that are in our lives and to reach the lost so that the next generation has life. And we pass it on. We pass it on. If preaching the truth I am persecuted, I will be persecuted even to death. Because I understand how urgent it is. Earthen vessels, expendable, so that the elect can believe. Now, people don't like that word. What do you mean elect? I like it. Why? It's in the Bible. So I don't like mentoring. I like discipleship. Why? It's in the Bible. That should be our passions, brothers and sisters. There's times you'll be in a teaching event. There's times that it'll be your children. There's times it'll be a co-worker over a lunch table. And you know what? If your co-worker says something that is completely senseless, you can look them in the eye and say, that is not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. The prophet Franklin. It's not in there. The, these are the things that I see over. How many wise men were there? I don't know. Hallmark tells me there's three. I don't know how many there was. Well, there was three. One gave a box of myrrh. One gave a box of gold. One gave a box of... What a bunch of cheapskates. They should all gave gold, frankincense, myrrh. Yeesh. Let me ask you a question. You walk out of here today. You're going to get bombarded by today's September the 11th. If nobody knows the date, it's September the 11th. In case you didn't know. I knew it was September the 11th on Wednesday. There's a lot of things that are going to try to distract you today and this week. And I'm going to ask you but one question. When it comes down to the fire in your bones, the passion of your being, what is it? I have hung out enough with the Apostle Paul to know what his fire was. My prayer for Castle Rock Baptist Church is that becomes our fire. And no matter what's going on around me, I don't lose that focus. I don't lose that focus. Let's pray. Father, we are but earthen vessels. It's precious treasure inside. And Lord, I just praise you for that. Father, I praise you for your amazing work of your spirit and your people. Father, I praise you for the amazing things you've done to date. And Father, there's a 
an eagerness, the expectation that is coming. Lord, help us. Help us on bended knee to be slaves to the Most High God. Father, the treasure is in us. I thank you. Father, I pray by your power and by your glory that you take each of us to the end of our rope where there's nothing left. We have no more abilities, no more understanding. And Father, now that we are there, may the power which spoke existence into being be the only thing that is seen in each of us. Father, as Paul turned this world upside down and even in his ministry now is turning this world upside down, let us not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation first to the Jew and to the Gentile. Father, prepare us for the task ahead. Let us walk worthy. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen.